Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Cy and technology allowing. I am joined as always by the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. Danny, I hope you don't sound like you're underwater again. How's it going? <laughs> Hopefully not, mate. We shall see how this goes. But um, how are you doing, mate? Oh, a lot better for hearing you now. You, I can hear you properly. A little bit of a peek behind the curtain to everyone listening in. We just had a bit of a technical problem. And Danny was going... Sound like somebody was holding his head in a sink of water or something. But no, I can hear you. I can hear you okay now, mate. I can hear you okay now. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Bloody technology, eh? Pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there we go. I uh, Today on Nitro Nights, we are looking at the Monday Nitro, which first aired on the 11th of November 1996. And it comes to us from St. Petersburg, Florida. The TV ratings for that particular Monday evening. Raw was upper touch at 2.5 for the night. Nitro was also upper touch at 3.7 for the night. Overall... Danny, this was a 0.5 rise in the collective number of people watching wrestling on both stations. So Nitro is still obviously winning the Monday Night War at this point. It will continue to for a little while yet. But the numbers on both sides of the coin, on both shows, are slowly climbing this week. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. I mean, I've always read that 1997 was like the hottest year in professional wrestling. And you can see um, as we lead into 1997, the way the momentum's going. So it's fantastic stuff. Yes, indeed. The numbers are little bit, little by little, touch by touch. But yeah, we're, we seem to be heading into that period, just looking at the ratings. Well, for this week alone, I guess. Speaking of Monday Night Raw and leading in, I suppose, uh, the the card was, again, quite short. But there's some big, big names on this episode of Raw. And we talk about leading in. They're heading into Survivor Series 1996 very, very soon on the WWF. Uh, and that dictates the opening contest on this week's Monday Night Raw. We have the tag team champions of Owen Hart and Davey Boy Smith defeating Shawn Michaels and Psycho Sid, who, of course, would go on to headline Madison Square Garden for the WWF World title at Survivor Series 96. Uh, Mankind defeated Freddie Joe Floyd. Oh, dear. And Steve Austin defeated Bob Holly. But at least Steve Austin is on the show, I suppose. And not a whole lot of anything else happened that night, Danny, to be fair. No, it sounds like it's um, very slim pickings, doesn't it? It does, it does, but there you go. I mean, although Survivor Series 96 is quite a good show, Brett Austin is good from that that particular pay-per-view. Um, I enjoy Sid versus Sean a lot, um, but I you look at the rest of the card and it's a bit, it's a bit ropey, I think. <laughs> but it has a very important debut of one Rocky Maivia, so that's one thing. Wow. Yes, die, Rocky, die indeed. Ah, so that is um, the Monday Night Raw. And before we dive into Monday Nitro, we need to have a little look about what happened two nights before on WCW Saturday Night. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Danny, what have you got for us, bud? 
Well, it was a very interesting week with a very interesting main event side that I'll ask you about. But first off, we have the team of Psychosis and Juventud Guerrero defeating uh, the American Males. We have okay. um, WCW TV champion Lord Stephen Regal defeating Jim Duggan via disqualification. We okay. have an, a match we saw on Nitro, I believe it was last week. We have DDP versus Ice Train. Right, uh, yeah, that was right. Yeah, last week on Nitro, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also have the amazing French-Canadians uh, defeating the Harlem Heat, which is quite a surprising uh, result there. That was that by Count Out or DQ, though, wasn't it? Oh, Count Out. Or was it yeah. by Pinfall? Yeah. No, Count Out. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, we also have uh, Chris Benoit defeating Hugh Morris. Okay. And then we have uh, the Cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko, defeating Rey Mysterio. And our main event was Lex Luger defeating Max. Now, that is a match that I have been able to track down. And it's not very good. So <laughs> <laughs> Why do you do this to yourself? You've got this weird... <laughs> This weird fascination of looking up stuff. Everyone else goes, oh, I don't like the sound of that. You're like, no, I'm going to watch it just so I know for sure. I mean, I know today, for example, you discovered there was how many sequels to the Crow uh, movie? Four. Four sequels to the Crow movie. I was unaware of this, and I'm quite a big <laughs> fan of that film. But you took it upon yourself to di- deep dive into it. You're a glutton for punishment, mate. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> But I'm very interested <laughs> to see because um, I have this fascination with Lex Luger um, putting people in the torture rack. And I'm just like, it's amazing that this man ha- didn't have a spinal stroke earlier in his life. Because when he picks up these big guys, you're like, how was he able to like walk afterwards? <laughs> well, yeah, you look at to the giant and uh, was it the wall? We saw him. Yeah. Not the wall. Uh, was it the wall? Was it? Is that his name? No, Max. No, not Max. Somebody else. It was on Nitro. Massive guy. Oh, Roadblock. Oh, uh, Roadblock. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's an impressive, you know, feat of strength, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Back on Monday night, however, we are greeted by our hosts and commentators for the first hour of the show. Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko. They're back on the floor, though. They're back in the cheap seats again. <laughs> so Eric Bischoff must be back this week. And behind them, almost to the point where you nearly miss it, there's a guy in the crowd trying to climb over the crowd barrier, waving a sign or something, and he gets very quickly escorted away. Now, at first, I I thought, well, what's that guy up to? Security escorts him away. It's not mentioned. That becomes you know quite an important part of this episode of Nitro going forward. But again, when it happened, I didn't think anything of it. I've, well, part of me thought, why are they keeping the camera on this? Normally, you know, especially with WWE TV nowadays, they'll cut away from that sort of thing. But it was almost like a throwaway, you know, WCW screwed up by letting that appear on camera, I think, Danny. Yeah, yeah, I had the same feelings as you, mate. It was like, wow, like what is going on here? But that is the beauty of live television. You can manipulate um, people, especially at that time. People would must have thought that this was real before uh, the internet became such a big thing. So that was just fantastic. 
Yeah, it's a real clever little setup for what comes later. And again, if nothing else came of this, I would never give that a second thought. It was only when we get the moments later on in the show that hark back to this that I went, oh, hang on. I remember that happening at the beginning of the episode. I think it was really cleverly done, but we'll get to that shortly. Uh, Tony and Larry are discussing some of the Jeff Jarrett stuff. We get a recap of what went on last week with the Four Horsemen and so on. Uh, before Jarrett himself makes his entrance for our opening contest, and he is taking on the Four Horsemen member, Chris Benoit. We get another picture-in-picture kind of effort with Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart talking about women and saying that, oh, Chris, she's whispering sweet nothings in your ear. I heard those sweet nothings first and all that sort of stuff. But never 100% really ever just coming out and just blatantly stating what they're on about. It's all done... I don't think subtly is the right word, but it's all done almost like a, a nod to the dirt sheets, maybe, Danny? Yeah, I definitely felt that. Um, Kevin Sullivan upped his creepiness this week, didn't he? <laughs> he did a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the match begins with, well, effectively, it goes pretty much straight into a test of strength. And the, and the guys are, you know, stay, staying locked up with, with the fingers. And um, there's a few go-behinds and uh, and so on before we get some headlocks and some takedowns and some head scissor counters by both. We then get a World War Three ad. And apparently, the Nasty Boys have got a title shot at the pay-per-view, we're told, during this World War Three ad. And I'm thinking, Why? What have they done to deserve a championship match? That's ridiculous. But, you know, never mind. It's WCW. Who knows? Um, (laughs) Jeff Jarrett starts working the leg when we come back from this ad break. Uh, Jarrett then suplexes Benoit to the floor. And then I got a surprise because I did not expect this for one moment. Sting is there. Sting's in the ring. He grabs Jarrett from behind, hits the Scorpion death drop which hasn't got a name at this point, I noticed. They're calling it a inverted DDT or a reverse DDT yeah. or whatever. And that it basically means that, you know, it's a DQ finish. And everyone's screaming about what's Sting up to. And Woman is there saying to Benoit, you need to pick Jarrett up. We know he's WCW. We don't know what Sting is doing. It, I was really surprised seeing Sting just turn up out of the blue and do this. How, how did you find this match, Danny? Is there anything in particular you want to bring up that maybe I've missed? Um, what did you think about seeing Sting this early? I loved this match because even though it was short, we got to see Chris Benoit and Jeff Jarrett go into a slugfest as they were just punching seven bells out of each other um, at one point. And it just it proved that Jeff Jarrett could definitely hang. And seeing Sting just walk out like it's sort of like a Batman um, figure where he just walked out, his jacket just flying in the air and he just grabbed Jeff Jarrett from behind. It just left a load of questions of like, why would he attack Jeff Jarrett? So I'm really excited to see where this story adds because we, well, if you're watching this week to week, we think that Sting is only interested in Lex Luger, but now this opens a brand new door. Yeah, when well, he's, he's watching a lot of what goes on. He's listened to the Jarrett interview last week, if you remember. He was yeah. on the um, uh, 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 the balcony or, or whatever they call it, watching the Jarrett interview that we had. 
he's he's just constantly sort of surveying the scene, isn't he? I suppose. But this is the first real physicality we've seen from Sting for quite a while, yeah. I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Is um, he made one brief uh, appearance in the ring where um, he said the only thing for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. But and then he hadn't been in the ring until here, so that was very interesting. Mm. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, what happened next was also very interesting. Security are again grabbing some guy who's shouting and yelling and waving something around and trying to get over the crowd barrier. They're throwing him out again. And it's this moment I thought to myself, okay, that guy earlier on, that was a plant. That's part of the show. I thought it was genuinely a fan getting thrown out, but it wasn't. It's part of the show because they actually talk about it on commentary. And the, this package is passed to Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko. And we hear that, you know, there's, there's a note there and, and the guy is shouting and yelling, yeah, play this tape, um, Hogan, Piper, there's a reference to 1992 and all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't remember this at all. This is, I, I don't know whether I've just kind of blacked this from my memory or, or because it's so long ago, I don't know, but I don't remember this whatsoever, Danny. No, this, I really enjoyed how they, they um, portrayed this because it did feel like urgent, it was, especially with Tony Schiavone and Larry Sabisco. And then the fact that um, Tony Schiavone was trying to encourage fans afterwards um, to say, don't do things like this, I found it was quite humorous as well. Yeah, well, it added a bit of realism to it again for me, even though at this point it's obvious it's part of, you know, a part of the show, but yeah. Yeah, uh, we then cut to a quite strange video package and, uh, you know, footage of Flair and a doctor and some cheesy music playing. And it's all to do with Ric Flair having to go for surgery and this boy is not around at the moment and so on. And apparently he's tore his rotator cuff and it's going to take four months to heal. So we're going to be without Ric Flair for a little while, it seems. Oh, that that is such a shame because we've really enjoyed him. But this video was very odd. Um, the music was way too loud, as you say, cheery. Um, it's just I just found it a very odd video. It seemed to pro, uh, promote the Doctor James Andrews more than it did Ric Flair. <laughs> hey, Doctor Andrews is over. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who uh, wasn't promoted, or I would even argue isn't particularly over, is Mela Hosaka, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. Uh, she comes to the ring for our next contest, and it's part of the ladies' title tournament. Uh, and Zero is coming down. The first time we're seeing Zero. Some, well, the first time we're going to see Zero compete. We saw her last week on uh, Nitro, and you said you were quite intrigued by the look and so on this lady had. And here is where I feel potentially for one of the first times since we started this project, WCW has, I suppose WCW here doesn't age well. Now there have been moments during this look back uh, and th this project we're doing where WCW hasn't aged well, but it's for wrestling reasons or promotion reasons or production issues or whatever things that you can kind of overlook because of when it was it was 1996 it's pushing 30 years ago whatever here larry zabisco it it made me uncomfortable danny i'm not gonna lie yeah. he starts off by saying um 
that's a her that's mm. a lady which i thought was pretty terrible i mean the match itself yep. there's not much to write home about it's it's zero no sales pretty much everything that her opponent does um wins with like a, a kind of razor's edge into a power bomb kind of effort quite comfortably but the whole thing is kind of just dominated in my mind by larry zabisco on commentary i mean there's one line here that he also states i say her but it's weird i keep wanting to say him and it's just like <sighs> obviously uh, you get the old line that's recycled all the time with these sorts of things it was a different time which it was but I'm watching in 2023 now, obviously. I felt uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same, mate. Um, you warned me about this uh, very early on as we were um, preparing to do this um, project. It was like you were going to see some things that just, you know, Larry Savisco doing casual racism, casual sexism. Um and yeah, it was just more evident here, wasn't it? I do, I do find Tony Schiavone um, did quite well in trying to manoeuvre himself out of those conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, uh, somebody who who's very good at manoeuvring himself in and out of conversations, I suppose, is somebody who's been absent for a few weeks, and we're told by our commentary team to welcome back. Mean Gene Oakland. Apparently, after an extended vacation, I call bullshit. Um, <laughs> he was telling WCW that he had an offer on the table from Vince McMahon and wanted more money to stay. Now, it turns out that the majority of people in the know say that he wasn't given an offer by the WWF at this time. He was just angling for more money. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I was never in the room, of course. But yeah, that's uh, why Mean Gene has been off television for a while, trying to court more cash from WCW, and his contract was up for renewal. Not an extended vacation, but there we go. Gene uh, is here talking with Diamond Dallas Page, and Mean Gene jumps you know, straight to the important questions and says, it seems like you're being courted or chased by the NWO. Um, are you part of the NWO? Are you in cahoots with these guys? Do you know them? And so on. DDP doesn't get much of a chance to answer before the outsiders arrive. Hall and Nash are here. And they're saying, we want you involved. You could join the black and white. And if you're NWO, you're NWO for life and all that sort of stuff. Before DDP asks quite an interesting question. He says, well, I've seen the other guys you've been signing up. And I can understand why people might think I have some involvement or link to you guys. I used to manage you, pointing at Scott Hall when he was the Diamond Stud. I used to tag up with you, as pointing at Kevin Nash. But here we are, and you come to me eighth. And he counts the other members of the NWO out and says, you came and asked me eighth. So it's almost like Paige isn't saying no. He's just saying, why didn't you come to me sooner? Is the vibe I got anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I pretty much the same. It was like DDP. Um, I found that this this whole segment was probably the most real segment that you can find on this show because um, they acknowledge uh, Hall and Nash acknowledge that um, Diamond Dallas Page lives two doors down from Eric Bischoff 
And I was like, wow, yes. that's that's never been said on uh, Nitro before. That was very interesting. What did you think about that, Si? I, I think it's a clever way of... Um, I mean, d- effectively, DDP's asking the question, you came to me eighth after this guy, after that guy. And he's, he's almost making it like it's hurt his feelings that he wasn't asked earlier. Makes me wonder, if he was asked earlier, what would he have said? But at this stage, he says he's getting asked eighth. And I like the way that the outsiders explain this away by saying, well, you live two doors down from DDP. Uh, this place, you know, we knew that we were trying to get in here. We're trying to recruit other members. The element of surprise is important and all that sort of stuff. And, and he says about the, the, the politics backstage. He says, you're friends with Bischoff. Bischoff lives two doors down. We couldn't come to you sooner because of that. I thought it was, I mean, first of all, it's, it's great that we're getting these little touches of reality put into the story and these conversations. But also the way that DDP seems to have a genuine gripe with these guys of why didn't you come to me sooner? I don't you think I'm good enough. I'm your eighth choice. It's not, you know, not a particularly high number when you're putting together a roster of guys, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. But the fact that Hall and Nash can realistically i guess with a sense of realism with an answer that makes sense explain that away i quite enjoyed that i thought it's quite clever bit of storytelling it really was mate and as you said earlier about um where they mentioned where ddp mentioned that he um managed scott hall tag team with kevin dash that was really cool as well because to a lot of new fans that had been just watching wcw from now it was they could actually go back and see and be like oh yeah they did so there's a lot of history there and um i'm loving how this storyline is going yeah yeah i'm enjoying page to be honest i'm, I'm really enjoying ddp's work at the moment it's good. It's better than the multicolored guy that had 87 gimmicks anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but there, but there is a quick question for you, Si, though. Okay. So, with me and Gene Oakland saying that he had a contract offer from Vince McMahon, where do you think he would end up in the Attitude Era in WWF? Mm. Um, I, I never see... I could never think of Mean Gene doing anything other than the role he is doing here. Yeah. He is the the best at being stood next to the wrestler, holding the microphone. And if a guy is a good promo, letting them just go. Mm. If a guy is struggling, he helps them out. Uh, he can add bits of comedy. He can add good reaction to things that people are saying. He can lead a segment. He can again. He can step back and let somebody else lead the segment. Gene, in my opinion, in this role of, uh, for want of a better phrase, backstage interviewer. I like how um, Rene Paquette for does for AW now and and so on. And you had Maria Canales for a while for WWE, didn't you? And and, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Gene Oakland to me is the best to ever do that. But at the same time, everyone else I think of who has done that has also done different roles, whether that's being a referee or a manager or an announcer or whatever. Gene, I only ever think of as standing there interviewing people. So perhaps that's why I think that way. But in my mind, because that's all I can remember him ever doing, 
going way back to you know the golden era as it's sometimes referred to you know the hulkamania time and SummerSlam 89 you know a videotape i played to death when i was a young kid and gene was involved in that it's all i've known in my 30 plus years of watching pro wrestling is gene doing that role so whether he's working for wcw or he's working for the wwf in the attitude era i can only picture him doing that role depending on whichever company he's in does that does that make sense? Yeah, it, it's a lot better than my answer. I, I thought that they would have him be the father to Mae Young's baby or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, storyline-wise, you could have had loads of fun with him. You know, yeah. I mean, there is that whole issue. You know, WrestleMania seven. You think back to WrestleMania seventeen, where he and Bobby Heenan are falling out of the uh, out out of the cupboard, and you know, Mae Young oh, yeah. and Fabulous Mueller are coming. You know, he, he always seemed like he, he was. Um, it very, he could be very amusing in certain situations. So yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, I think you could have done anything with him, but it's very difficult for me to picture Gene doing anything as a uh, as a more, I don't know how to word it, more, more permanent or full time role in yeah. within wrestling than yeah. what we see him at now. If that makes sense. No, it really does, mate. And he just fitted straight back into the fold. It was like he never left. Yeah, yeah, ultimate professional, absolutely yeah. superb. But there we go. Um, up next, we have Rey Mysterio, and he is taking on someone that took me far too long to be able to get the guy's name correct. I wrote down three different versions of this guy's name, and then ultimately had to look it up to make sure I was getting it right, and I still wasn't. Uh, <laughs> and so, so please bear with me because I'm going to get this wrong. Cyclope, is that correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I wrote down all sorts of different stuff, mate. But um, Cyclope <laughs> is uh, a, a slightly bigger looking luchador. Um, he's got a bit about him here, but I don't think he ever really goes on to do much. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the guy, so it'll be interesting to see if he does pop up much in the next year or two. But yeah, looking him up online, it doesn't seem like he establishes himself long term in WCW. But there we go. Watching this match is Ultimo Dragon, and he has more gold than Fort Knox. He's carrying 87 championship belts. Um, there's the, just a mountain of them. And also watching this match is Psychosis. He comes out to have a look as well. And, and well, he comes out after Dean Malenko. They've built up quite an audience here, Ray and Cyclope, haven't they, Danny? They really have, mate. And it was like... Oh, wow, this, this is interesting because it's not just one person coming out. It's actually three, so, well, four if you count on the owner as well. But there is an interesting fact about um, Ultima Dragon's championship, but one of them here, sir, do you know about it? Uh, I'm going to have a stab at it being a WWF title. Yeah. Yeah, the light heavy or one of the versions of the light heavyweight championship um, appearing on the the WCW program. I, I always get a kick out of that. Yeah, and there's the I think there's the NWA yeah. Junior Heavyweight title. It's called because it looks like the ten pounds of gold, the the, the <laughs> NWA World Title that's used now, but just silver. Yeah, yeah, it's just brilliant. Which is quite cool. Yeah, I, mean, I love seeing Ultimate Dragon in this time carrying all those different belts. It's uh, I, I love a belt collector kind of gimmick. I mean, Omega did it recently. Um, Austin Aries, I think, had a yeah. similar kind of gimmick like that. 
I always I always enjoy somebody who goes around just winning loads of titles for a while. It's it's, an, it's a simple way of getting somebody to look incredibly dominant and get and if they're not already over, get them over, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, mate. But yeah, this this match, um, it was pretty good, but it was more about the story of like who is coming for Ray next or who is coming for I don't I doubt they'll become after Cyclope, uh, but um it was like not a promo was cut here, but we've got so many people saying a lot of words without even touching a microphone. Yeah, and the weird thing for me is kind of motivation for it because Dean Malenko was your cruiserweight champion, isn't he? Yeah. So if all these cruiserweights were out watching Dean Malenko, I'd think, oh, they all want a title shot. But they're including the champion, they're all out watching Rey Mysterio. And I'm like, okay, are they just expecting Rey to win the title back soon? Is that <laughs> the, the mindset here? You know, it, I can understand it if they were all watching the champion and it sort of promotes that division. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But um, mm. I'm just going to assume it's because they just want to, to take out the... Well, he's actually he's not the top contender anyway. So, yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit. It is a little bit. Um, you're right, Danny, though. There's, there's, this match is kind of secondary to everyone else being out watching and the looks they give each other and so on. Uh, Ray ultimately wins, as you can predict, with possibly the slowest West Coast pop I've ever seen. It's almost like I sat on the remote and it was playing it in slow motion because Cyclope did not look comfortable d- dog jumping around with Ray in that particular yeah. instance. But uh, yeah, it was okay. It was functional. It, it wasn't superb, but at the same time, it was it was nothing. There was nothing there that made me think it was crap. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, after this, we have a plug for the WCW website, and I got a big kick out of this because I've still got a computer that runs on that version of Windows downstairs in my house. <laughs> so it was interesting seeing that old-fashioned kind of grey, beigey buttons and all that sort of stuff. And again, we're reminded of the absolute fucking nonsense name that the WCW website had when it started, www.wcwwrestling.com. So if you uh, you know take out the WCW abbreviations and give it its full title, www.worldchampionshipwrestlingwrestling.com. <laughs> silly just silly it's ridiculous it's like when um, Jeff Jarrett had that um, Global Force Wrestling and the Twitter handle was GFW Wrestling it was like Global Force Wrestling Wrestling I don't get it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, exactly but there we go uh, we're also told though on commentary and I find this <laughs> I understand it's a story point and they're trying to just add things as they go along. But they've just ran an advert. Really, you know, really publicizing. We're on the internet now. One of the commentators, <laughs> it might have been Tony Schwanny, actually says, That's right, WCW are now on the internet, which is an alien thing to hear in our current time. Yeah. Because everything is internet based now. But back then it was quite a big deal that these things I could I mean, I was 15, 16 at this time. I can remember this sort of stuff happening. And it being a big deal when a company or a TV show, or whatever, had all of a sudden, you know, put themselves on this crazy, you know, weird thing that we were hearing lots about called the internet. It was a completely alien concept. 
So they got ahead and plugged this website and said about we're on the internet, check it out, and all this sort of good stuff. And then literally in the next sentence, they're saying about how their site has been vandalized and they're trying to track down who's done it. Oh, well, are you advertising the site or not? Because you literally just sort of declared it. And now you're saying that something's fucking wrong with it. (laughs) It was so odd. It was like they couldn't have just waited a few segments later and then said that or... Uh, yeah, that was a bit odd. It was like, um, but I guess at the same time, it could be a wrestling a NWO fan thinking, oh, wow, like now I've got to go to that WCW website to see what the NWO did to it, how they destroyed it, how they oh. vandalized it. So it kind of could work both ways, but it, it's all overall. Silly. Look at that. Danny, that's brilliant. I didn't even think of that. What a shite, you clever little bastard. Um, <laughs> speaking of the NWO, the NWO sign patrol arrives, but they're not walking through the crowd this time. They're coming down the ramp. I'm not sure I liked this mm. because if they're coming, I mean, they're supposed to be NWO fans who have these these banners, these signs and so on. And somehow they've got access to the backstage and they've come through the backstage area and then they're walking down the ramp. I, I'm not sure I like that aspect. I, I'd rather they stayed stomping through the crowd, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, this, unfortunately, played a lot throughout the night because I think they were up on that ramp for a good while because in a lot of the matches, we'll get into it um, a bit later on, but a lot of the matches, you could see the uh, fans on the hard cam side turning uh, towards the crowd, uh, towards the um, the entrance ramp, and it was like, are they there to see the... I think they were there with their signs, but I could be wrong. Mm, yeah it's just the aspect of coming the end of the world supposed to be this invading renegade force and if they're coming through the crowd which apparently and initially we discussed it on a pre our previous i think it was on our mwo bonus episode we did a little while back yeah it was it was something that larry zabisco himself um suggested and i think it makes a massive difference when the end of are coming through the crowd rather than coming through the entrance way because if they come through the entrance way they're just another person employed by wcw Seeing the people carrying the signs, the NWO fans and so on, coming through that 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 entrance way and coming down the ramp itself, it kind of took away a little bit from that whole rebel outfit invasion. We don't want any part of you and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, especially for the last four weeks, at least the NWO have been cutting promos from the crowd as well. So mm. that was a bit odd, but they out they come and uh, they proceed to give the, the commentary team shit, don't they? <laughs> oh, Scott Hall with Larry Zabisco is fantastic <laughs> here. This is so good. I mean, first of all, they're, they're there to talk about going to these cable awards, which were mentioned last week on here on Nitro Nights. Yeah. Um, there's some television awards the NWO are demanding that they can be a part of and so on. But Scott Hall bickering with Larry Zabisco is absolute gold he says i thought you'd be bigger i liked you since you were oh, sorry i liked watching you wrestle since i was a kid insinuating he's really old um i think kevin nash at one point says he was slapping back out of retirement uh, yeah. it's just absolute brilliant stuff with, with larry zabisco here isn't it 
Yeah, oh, it really is, mate. And um, Kevin Nash mocks uh, Larry Sabisco's shirt and asks him if he gets a free cup of soup with it as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, speaking of shirts, the NWO are wearing their standard NWO shirts, but you have something new on them. Uh, nwowrestling.com so perhaps they are the ones who have been tinkering with the website maybe maybe Uh, i've just got a bit of breaking news um okay i uh have found the nwo invading the cableway ace awards so maybe on a future show we can review that side i found the full video wow (laughs) wow it's on a saturday night danny it's oh. on a Saturday night, so <laughs> maybe we will have to have a little look when we cover it Saturday. Well, when you cover it Saturday night, so <laughs> yeah. the the NWO do state that their website went up tonight. So perhaps they have their own site. Perhaps they've messed with WCW's site. Perhaps both uh, website addresses take you to the same place. I don't know. And now in 2023, we've no way of really finding out. So no. there we go. <laughs> Uh, Saturday night though as we mentioned a few times gets brought up here as well Scott Horn and Kevin Nash state that WCW Saturday night isn't enough they want Nitro and then they leave and Zabisco and Tony Schiavone are talking saying they'll never get this show off us this is our show Hall pops his head back around the ring and just flicks his toothpick straight at Zabisco and it's just brilliant and cool and funny and everything that made scott hall one of the greatest to ever do this i think yeah oh anytime you see something like this and where just scott hall's just being himself and he's just oh you just really miss him you really do yeah such a talented guy such a talented guy hour two kicks off with scott norton versus lex luger and Bobby Heenan is talking about Sting being NWO again on commentary. He says the black and white clothing again and so on. Um, we get Arn Anderson in a picture-in-picture interview talking about Luger. So obviously we're not done with that yet. Sting is watching. Uh, he's watching on from high above once again. And I mean, this match was, again, it, it was all right to me. At one point we end up fighting on the outside. Luger misses a clothesline and hits the ring post. This then leads to Scott Norton working on his arm for a while. Um, Eric Bischoff then brings up the fan jumping the rail and handing Tony Schiavone a tape and says that they're looking into it to see if it's broadcast worthy. Um, Luger does fight back at one point with a flying clothesline and a few other para moves before he's cut off by Norton once more. Scott Norton then goes for a move from the top rope. I don't know where he's going for some sort of flying shoulder block, a clothesline, a crossbody. I'm not sure. We never find out because he misses anyway. And Luger applies the rack to win the match. Um, I know that you really enjoyed the Fire and Ice tag team. We saw Ice Train last week. Her is the other half. And we've been singing Lex Luger's praises on the show for the last couple of weeks. What did you think of this match itself? The finish? And then also more talk about this tape, Danny. Very interesting. Um, I love the fact that we got that iconic shot of Sting because um, it was it really looked like like he was just about to jump down, but we know he wasn't yet. So um, in terms of the match, it was very interesting because um, these two have actually wrestled before. I think on one of the early night shows we watched, and this match was a lot better. I found, especially considering the finish. Um, I'm just going to have to come out and say it. So I think 
the torture rack is my new favourite move. Okay. Yeah. Just, okay. I, I, a shame I, I'm not... That, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I don't think anyone uses it um, these days, but what do you think about it? Um, I, part of me loves it because it shows Luger being powerful and I'm a big fan of... Okay, you you will probably be able to remind me here because I can't ever remember who did it. But there used to be a submission finish used by somebody that was effectively a backbreaker submission, and they would hold them over one shoulder so that they were their their body and their face was facing straight up at the lights, and the other guy was stood was stood up with their opponent just draped over their shoulder, almost like they were a mid power bomb, but instead it was bending them using their own weight over their shoulder. That submission move I really really enjoyed. The yeah. torture rack at times, depending on who he applies it to, and uh, in what context it's being used, I guess with regards to the size of the opponent and and the story the match has been beforehand. There are times when I look at the torture rack and I think it looks like it'd be relatively simple to get out of. Mm. Whether you use your three arm to just rake Luger's eyes, whether you <laughs> literally just roll backwards and get off Luger's shoulders. But then there are other occasions when it looks like he's really got it tied in. And I'm thinking that looks painful as shit. <laughs> so I think mean, it depends on the circumstances as to when it's being used for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike Tanay um, talks about Luger here as well. And Tanay says that Luger is his pick to win the World War Three 60-man Battle Royal and receive a title shot at a future date. Bobby Heenan oddly picks Dean Malenko. Now, I like that because I'm a Malenko fan. But it's odd hearing Heenan pick someone who I suppose he's supposed to be a heel, but he's getting semi-popular reactions from the crowd because my goodies in the ring. And I, I thought, I mean, it, it's it's good that Malenko's getting a spotlight shined on him, yeah. but it almost felt a little out of place for me. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely did. But I, when I think of things like this, I always go back to... Um, I believe it was on WWF Livewire, I think it was, where Vince Russo um, spoiled who was going to win the 1997 Royal Rumble. And Vince McMahon was furious, so they changed it to Stone Cold because mm-hmm. uh, Vince Russo said, oh, Bret Hart will win the, the 97 Royal Rumble. I think of things like that. So I always think, yeah, they're going to have to pick someone who's definitely not going to win just to try to... Um, make it a surprise for fans when uh, someone else wins. Yeah, or you can do the Jerry Lawler approach. He's my pick. No, 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 he's my pick. No, 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 he's my pick. You know, so it doesn't really matter who you say at that point. Yeah. But there we go. <laughs> um, mean Gene is, is back here and he's talking with Luger. And Luger says he has no answers on Sting. Uh, and he, he almost seems a bit hesitant. He almost seems like he's unsure of himself. And then to me, it's almost like a light bulb goes off above his head or somebody flicks a switch in his mind because Luger goes from this guy sort of going, oh, I don't know, and stuttering over his words a touch or whatever. He just flies into this promo that I'm, I, I felt 100% believable. 
it's passionate, it's fired up. And I'm thinking Luger at the moment, as a babyface in this scenario, is really working for me. He talks about how uh, fighting the NWO is just too much for one man. He says, I'm not going to stop. I'm holding on to that rope so they don't get away from us. But it's too much for one man. And he says, Sting, I'm sorry, I need you. And I was, I was just like, wow, I'm, I'm bought into this Luger in this is in this moment, in this scene, and in this in this segment. Holy crap, I'm completely bought in. Yeah, I mean, he is fantastic. We've said it since the inception of this show. He is really good, Lex Luger. Um, he is doing probably his best work um, that I've ever seen. Um, and the fact that he's uh, now he's been kind of vulnerable here and saying WCW made a mistake. We made a mistake. I made a mistake. Not trusting Sting. Um, absolutely loved it. Yeah. Really good stuff from Luger. Really, really good stuff. Um, Eric Bischoff again brings up this Roddy Piper tape and says <laughs> it's interesting. And we will come to that very soon. Uh, we have a tag match up next, which in theory could be a little bit interesting because of stuff going on elsewhere around the ring with regards to Sensational Sherry, who comes out with Harlem Heat. And then Colonel Parker comes out with the amaz- amazing French Canadians. We then get a sort of run back, a replay of WCW Saturday night and the match that we mentioned in your recap of Saturday night earlier on, Danny, where it goes to effectively a count out DQ finish. But Sherry slapped Colonel Parker that night, and they are now done, it seems. And nothing really goes on in this match that stands out. It's just a bit of a mess. Then the Nasty Boys turn up, and we get, um, well, activity in the back is what we're told (laughs) by our commentary team. And the camera cuts to a door with two security guards telling the Nasty Boys they're not allowed in. They're arguing this for a while. The match is just a bit of a mess. Everyone's kind of scrapping at each other in and out of the ring. Then, for some reason, all the wrestlers are on the outside of the ring and the managers are on the inside of the ring. And there's a bit of a scuffle. And then that's kind of the end of that. I mean, to me, there's not much really in this match to, to discuss. But the Nasty Boys are seen talking to someone in the car park. Now, I'm getting a bit old, Danny, and my eyesight is failing me. My wife tells me all the time I need to go and get my eyes checked because I can't see stuff clearly on the television on occasions. Could you make out who this was? No, I tried my best. I stopped it a couple of times, tried to zoom in. But no, I couldn't tell who this was. But I like the fact that I couldn't because then it's like, oh, yeah, when it's revealed, it'll surprise me. But the fact that I was zooming in so much to that, I actually missed the finish of this match. <laughs> and because of the new WWE uh, network um, style layout or whatever you want to call it, it's harder to rewind. So I was just like, oh, damn, I missed that. But when we came back, I loved everything that Sensational Sherry did. She threatened to kill uh, Rob Robert Parker I found that was very... I just couldn't stop laughing at his side. Yeah. Sherry's fantastic, isn't she? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, whilst you bring it up on, on the topic of this WWE Network, um, most recent update, I guess, I felt I was very fortunate in the last week or two, reading all this stuff online from our good friend Total Stevo and and everyone else who has been saying about how shite this new update on the network is. 
I was concerned because Danny and I, we'd had conversations via messenger, haven't we? Yeah. About how a, a lot of 1997 Nitro is missing currently. And I mean, there was 12 episodes on there when I first looked at the new update, there's now 16. So at least there's progress being made, but yeah. it's, it's still not great. It's still a bit of a concern with regards to our show. If when we hit 97 and so on, we'll find a way around it. We always will, but it's still not ideal. I had a fire stick downstairs, an old TV fire stick. That is a very old version of the fire stick. And it's in the TV downstairs in the front room. Doesn't really get used because we've got the, the, the cable box downstairs that does a lot of the same same you know functions that the fire stick does. All my apps in the house for the WWE Network automatically updated. So on my kids' PlayStation, on the fire stick in the bedroom, then they automatically updated. So I've got the old version of the network dotted all over the place. Sorry, the new version of the network, yes, dotted all over the place. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, this sucks. But then this version downstairs, I was over the moon about because I still had the old version of the network on. And when I went to open the network, it doesn't automatically update on this old fire stick. It comes up with the option, open the app without updating or update to the newest version. I was like, I'll open the app, please. Thank you very much. I'll stick with what I've got. And for the last two weeks, however long it may well be, I've had the old version of the WWE network. And it has been glorious not having to use the new one. I came to watch this episode of Nitro. It wouldn't let me open the app anymore and told me I had to go into the menu and update it or it wouldn't play. I I nearly cried. <laughs> I was devastated. Oh, it's the worst. And putting this Nitro and, and, and to put it into context why I have an issue with this new version of the app. Putting this Nitro on, I was kicked out of the app three different times. Mm. Um, it wouldn't play. Then when it did play, I spent the 90 minutes of this episode of Nitro shouting, yelling, and swearing because I've not got the greatest level of tolerance or patience because it buffers every 10 fucking seconds. Yeah. I don't understand why the WWE touched it. I don't understand why WWE messed with it. I don't understand why things need to change. Why can't we just have nice things? <laughs> It was, yeah, it's definitely the worst. I mean, you just go on the uh, Twitter or any social media and you just see people just fuming about this, and rightfully so. I mean, I used to sit here and watch um, a couple of episodes of SmackDown or Raw from the mid-2000s. I haven't done that in well over a week now. I've just had to crack out some DVDs, and uh, yeah, it's such a shame. Bad, yeah, you're going old school. <laughs> See, we've um, I've got a uh, subscription to YouTube Premium. Yeah, like the the the, the, sub, the paid YouTube thingy. Now, every yeah. now, I don't I don't pay for YouTube, so I barely use YouTube. But every now and again, they'll send me an email saying, "Oh, we got an offer on. You get thirty days premium for nothing. Just remember to cancel it." So I do. I <laughs> I, I get the I get the three month, and then I cancel it. Yeah. And what I, what that means is I get to watch TNA Impact pay-per-views with no adverts for a whole month. So at the moment, yeah. I'm okay. When my when my uh, month of YouTube Premium runs out and I've got to go back to the network, I hope they've sorted out all their glitches or I'm probably yeah. going to be a miserable bastard to live with. 
<laughs> no, that's I've done the same. Um, I've just like uh, I've given it a month, and if it's just like this in a month, I'm just like, oh, what am I gonna do? Just DVDs, videos, and my um hard drive with like just every wrestling show you can imagine that is on there. <laughs> no, that must be some hard drive. I hope you've got that backed up in case anything ever goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's something I bring out during the uh, one man meet tapings. It's um, it's a terabyte, and it must have. I've been collecting wrestling shows since two thousand thirteen, so it must have. I don't even know. I can't even count the amount of shows, but they're all sorted out in order and stuff like that. So, so what you're telling us is that you can yeah. forget the WWE network. That's a part of shite. <laughs> If you send SJP World Media £5 a month, we can connect you with Scottish Danny's Wrestling Network and stream that to you. How does that sound? I have uh, three of them that are backed up in case one fails, so I don't I don't see why I can't send you one in the post. <laughs> <laughs> it may well come in handy with regards yeah. to a little side project that we are going to be doing here on Nitro Nights very, very soon. But I'm not going to spill the beans about that yet. I'm not going to. It's, it's for nobody else's <laughs> business apart from you and I, Danny, so far. Until we yeah. get a good number of episodes recorded and backed up. But anyway, <laughs> back to Nitro and 1996. Conan versus Chris Jericho is up next. Our good buddy, Nick, my neck is sore. Patrick is the referee. And this match starts quite well. Jericho and Conan doing a very high flying Mexican style of match where they don't actually touch each other, but because they're countering and blocking and whatever everyone, you know, each move is missed because the other guy's moving so quickly and so on. Um, before eventually Jericho does attempt the first pinfall of the match and we get the first nonsense Nick Patrick slow count. Uh, Jericho misses a plancher to the outside, which allows Conan to take control of, of the match for a while. He hits a really nasty-looking missile dropkick into the corner where Jericho is slumped against the turnbuckles. That looked very sore. Before Jericho nearly collides with Nick Patrick but stops himself. Conan then drop kicks Jericho, who then bumps into Nick Patrick, and Nick Patrick disqualifies him. <laughs> and that's the end of the match. What are oh, you thinking it. at the moment with this whole Nick Patrick stuff? Have you seen enough? Are you enjoying it? Do you like the way that we're kind of getting the teasers each week? Or has it been dragged out long enough, Danny? What, what do you think with regards to the whole Nick Patrick stuff and the NWO teases, I guess? I loved it. Um, I, I mean, the, the Alan Sharp can just get in the bin because he's rubbish, the, the lawyer from last uh, two weeks. But I loved um, that this finish came out of nowhere, especially uh, considering two weeks ago, every finish was clean. And then last week, every finish was kind of out of nowhere. So I was expecting, oh, it's going to be one of them, just a normal finish here. Um, Nick Patrick just plays up to his heel character. It was during this match that I really noticed that I like the way Nick Patrick actually does the free count with his um, arm. Like It's quite unique. Um, but I love the fact that we're getting a lot of um, little um, like hints of like him being a member of the NWO, a paid employee of the NWO, as Jericho puts it. Um, yeah, I really like it, but as long as they don't bring the lawyers back into it, I think Nick Patrick's doing quite well. What do you think, Si? I'll tell you what, until I, until you just said that, 
well, first of all, a little bit of context for everyone out there. Um, we just had the call just was disconnected midway through the show. So if there's a difference in sound quality, a difference in the call quality, or the the recording quality, um, that's completely on me. I went to press the mute button and hung up on Danny by mistake. Not the first time I've done that. I'm a di- I'm an idiot, but there we go. Uh, so we've restarted the call, restarted the recording for the second part here. So if the sound quality is different or we have a few technical issues on this call, we apologize in advance, but that is why. Anyway, until you just said then about the attorney being rubbish and so on, and, and, and like Nick Patrick was doing okay, it didn't even enter my mind until literally this moment. How often in the past few weeks have we sung the praises of Nick Patrick's promos? Mm. Loads. Over yeah. and over again. You know, he, he's been brilliant in this, hasn't he? Yeah. So why does he need somebody else to talk for him? <laughs> you know, I, I, I can appreciate tur- yeah, I can appreciate turning around and going, oh, I've got my attorney here to try and add more seriousness, I suppose, yeah. to the accusations and the fact he's trying to defend himself. I can get that. But he's cutting these promos and doing these interview segments well enough on his own. And the attorney, the first week, we, we both agreed, I think, Danny, if, if I remember correctly, the first week he did quite well. Yeah. He, he, was, he was decent. But since then, he's been shite. <laughs> so... If, to me, it's the, it's the same situation as if you've got a manager and a wrestler who can't talk. You put the manager with a wrestler who can't talk to hide his shortcomings. Yeah. But Mick Patrick doesn't need someone to talk for him. He obviously can do it himself. So that's a bit baffling to me. Yeah. I think if uh, Alan Sharp was just there for one week, it would have been perfect and we would be singing his praises. But the fact that he has overstayed his welcome just two weeks in, we just hope we never see him again. <laughs> okay, all of this is obviously in hindsight because we're nearly 30 or thirty years or whatever uh, into the future for when this was made. But what if we had the attorney there for the first week he was, he cut. He, he does his own interview segment. He reads his own lines and whatnot and, and sounds very good doing it. And then Nick Patrick finishes that off by saying, I've got him on retainer. He's ready to sue anyone who accuses me of anything. Then he goes away. And then any occasion we get more issues with Nick Patrick, more trouble with Nick Patrick, more accusations with Nick Patrick, we just see... I don't know. Uh, we see an Arn Anderson or a Buff Bagwell or whatever walking backstage talking to someone. And then behind them, you just have Nick Patrick on the phone and you get a little cutaway, two-second thing with Nick Patrick going... What was the guy's name again? Sorry, the attorney? Alan, Alan Sharp. Okay. You get Nick Patrick literally just on the mobile phone in the background, uh, shot in a way that you can hear him, just saying, Alan, they're doing it again. What do you advise? And then we go back to Bischoff, and that's all you need. Yeah, it's that's pretty you much. You don't need you don't need the guy you don't you don't need the guy stinking the place up every week, do you? No, no. And for anyone interested in Alan Sharp, he actually was the director of public relations for WCW from December nineteen ninety three until March two thousand and one. Um, he's still alive, luckily. Uh, but <laughs> but um, right now, he's currently a marketing consultant at. 
TL Properties Group, uh, a, a position he's held for just over a year now. So the fact that he's not on a wrestling show is always a good thing. <laughs> how old is he now then in your research or, or your notes in front of you? Does it say how old he is now? No, but he's... No, no, it doesn't say anything about his... He started his um, working life in 1990, so... Okay, I mean, because he looks in his 30s here, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, or, or at least late 20s, you know, whatever. So, you you put, put 30 years onto that. The guy's got to be in his 60s now, I suppose, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He still looks the exact same, to be honest. Does he really? Does he really? <laughs> I'll send you <laughs> <Okay>. this. <laughs> Um, I mean, also on the note of, of of you saying, if anyone's interested in Alan Sharp, I, I'll, I'll shout out for everyone who listens to Nitro Nights now. No one fucking is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> up next we get possibly the hairiest man in the world in Mikel Perez, and he is taking on Huberto Guerrera, and. Literally, my first note again just says Perez is so hairy. He looks like he's wearing a jumper without actually yeah. wearing a jumper. And my wife happened to walk past the, to the TV as I was watching this moment, making my notes. And she looked at the TV and her exact reaction was, "Ooh." <laughs> so I think that says a lot about Mr. Perez. Um, it feels quite quick and rushed at this point. And I'm not blaming the competitors. I'm assuming that we're up to something time-wise potentially here because we cut to the ring and Perez is in the ring waiting and uh, Guerrero runs to the ring with no intro, no music, nothing, jumps in the ring and they just start the match. The match itself feels very fast, almost rushed in places. Um, but there's still some nice spots. We get a dive off the top to the floor by Hoover to Guerrero. We get uh, a nice standing moonsault by Captain Carpet Shoulders himself, Mr. Perez, and um, a nice power bow on the floor by Perez as well. But the noise was horrific. It sounded like he literally just splatted the back of his opponent's skull, didn't it, Danny? Yeah, yeah, it was very hard to listen to that. But as I was watching this, I was thinking, man, Juventud Guerrero is not off to... I mean, he had a couple of missteps in his uh, first couple of weeks, but I did not expect him to lose this match because we haven't heard of uh, my girl Perez before. But I like that Mike Tanay uh, mentioned that he was a second-generation wrestler and Bobby Heenan even um, bigged him up a little bit, didn't he? He did. Yes, he did. And to be fair, you know, hairiness aside, he, he looked all right. I mean, the finish yeah. is quite cool. Hubertu uh, Guerrero misses a 450 splash, but half lands on his feet. And Perez wins with some kind of weird, um, almost victory roll-esque cradle effort. That was quite cool. Yeah. He does a standing moonsault during the match, which I thought looked really impressive. Um, I, I thought he did well. And considering these guys weren't given much TV time whatsoever, and it almost felt a bit rushed in places, I, I felt fairly entertained watching this. Yeah. It was really good. Um, I think it felt rushed because as we went to commercial and then came straight back, they were already in the ring and the match was already in progress. So that's mm. always making a difference. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Uh, Ted DiBiase 
is here. He's in the stands with, um, well, he's not in the stands, sorry. He's he's in the little balcony part that Sting has been in in a, a previous segment on the show. And he is calling for Sting, and the NWO have a T-shirt for Sting, and they want him to join their ranks. The Faces of Fear are up next, and the American Males are their opponents. The American Males get an unnecessary amount of pyro for a tag team that I kind of feel no one gives a shit about anymore. Uh, (laughs) But we're also told during this match that the Piper tape is actually a music video. (laughs) Now, I was not aware of this until I was literally informed of this by Mr. Bischoff himself on the television. So I've gone from being absolutely intrigued about this video cassette that has been given over by a fan. Apparently it references Hogan and Piper and 1992. There's a lot of intrigue and a lot of mystery surrounding this tape. And it must be played and they're viewing it beforehand. And Bischoff describes it as interesting and so on. They say it's a music video. Instantly, my interest as a wrestling fan uh, someone who records podcasts such as this and is is invested in pretty much anything WCW is doing at this point, that level of interest drops dramatically when they mm-hmm. tell me it's a music video. But the side of me that can't help but have a bit of a giggle and take the piss out of stuff, my interest instantly is peaked that side of me. <laughs> so I'm thinking this, this, I'm still intrigued on one level at least. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The faces of fear dominate this match um, and until Riggs gets a hot tag to jump into the ring uh, because the faces of fear have been beaten at Bagwell for so long. The hot tag gets literally no reaction yeah. whatsoever. Anything Riggs does in the match gets zero reaction. Uh, Riggs is ultimately pinned by Meng. Bagwell looks pretty visibly angry and upset about this happening. So I think we're getting more and more little teases of an American males split here, Danny. What did you think? We, yeah, we certainly are. Um, I, I just didn't like the fact that the, uh, Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan discussed it three times that there was uh, dissension amongst the American males before they even got to the ring. <laughs> overkill, isn't it? A little bit of overkill. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with stuff like that, um, less is definitely more. But you're completely right about um, Scotty Riggs getting no reaction. This is the death of uh, one's great tag team that we're seeing. And let's just hope it ends soon before um, it's too painful to watch. <laughs> mm, great tag team? Are you sure? <laughs> It's certainly memorable. I mean, <laughs> yeah, okay, they were all right. They were okay. I mean, they may hug and make up still. Um, yeah. You know, we we don't know where this is going. I mean, spoiler alert: they fucking don't. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. Uh, Jimmy Hart then grabs the microphone, and normally I think to myself, Jimmy Hart's got a time and a place late 80s WWF or old footage of Memphis wrestling and so on. Not a problem with Jimmy Hart. 1996 WW, uh, WCW, sorry. He feels out of place. I, I don't necessarily need him shouting and yelling in his over-animated uh, 80s manager style. But he then comes on the microphone and says that the Nasty Boys have a title shot for the tag, 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 sorry, tag team titles, but even at World War Three. 
He's saying, what have they done to get a title shot? Do they even still work here? I think he states at one point. Yeah. And he says, why haven't the faces of fear got a title shot? Let's make it a triangle match or whatever type of match you want it to be. And I think he's got a genuine point. Yeah. It's exactly what you asked earlier, sir, in the show. It was like wild and asked. We never had a um, explanation, but Jimmy Hart saying this. Yeah, really, really excited about this. Now, I mean, I just, I just like the fact that if the if the faces of fear get inserted into this match, I like the fact that it just makes sense that it's happening. Yeah, because they've got you know they've been dominating tag teams left, right, and center in the past few weeks that we've seen. And to me, it's a case of well, you know, Jimmy Hart as their manager has a valid point with regards to saying, well, why have the Nasty Boys got a title match? It's ridiculous. And he's not yeah. saying take the Nasty Boys out; they don't deserve it. He's saying my boys deserve a shot. Just add them to what you've already got. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, really good. And that's a great point you say about Faces of Fear dominating the tag team scene because they certainly have been. I mean, they had that great match with um, uh, the Four Horsemen as well. So, yeah, let's bring them on. Mm. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, Up next then, Danny. Now, you sent me a WhatsApp message uh, because you watched this episode of Nitro before I had an opportunity to sit down and watch it. I watched this yesterday. Yeah, and, and you sent me a message saying, no spoilers, Sai, but there's something here involving Piper I can't wait to get into. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to put this out on Twitter. Yeah. I'm fairly certain we're going to find it on Daily Motion or YouTube or wherever. Yeah. I'll, I'll tag it to the show when the tweet comes out about the show or all the Facebook post comes out about the show itself. Um, I may even share it before the show is released on Thursday, so people can be, uh, people can see it and be familiar with it. Um, I'm your man, a song by Rowdy Roddy Piper, released in the. Well, we're told it's it was a hit in Europe, apparently. Talk us through your thoughts here when you see this. Um. I just, this is exactly what I wrote down. What the hell? What is this? Does Roddy Piper actually like Hulk Hogan? That's exactly what I thought when the music video was o- was over. It was like, it, it wasn't showing him um, hating Hulk. It was more like a love song for Hulk Hogan. Um, that's how I felt. But I just kept, lo- I watched this three times and I just laughed, <laughs> laughed. <laughs> And oh my god! And then I went to YouTube and watched it on my phone as well because it was just—I had never seen this. I thought I had seen everything of Roddy Piper from all his weird reality shows that he appeared on that nobody knows about, or his weird commercials where he's um, trying to sell you cars or um, uh, like bathtubs or something like that. This was so rare and it was prime Roddy Piper as well because um, there's always an argument to be made. He was in his best shape in 1992. If you look at that incredible intercontinental title reign he had, um, he was ripped, he was shredded and he actually just looked really healthy. And in this, it was the exact same. Um, 
I had no idea about this music video at all, and I was really pleasantly surprised. But I just don't know if it's good or bad. I still don't know if this was just so bad that it's good or so good that it's bad. (laughs) Oh, dear me. Um, I'm Your Man by Rowdy Roddy Piper. It was written by Piper, apparently, or at least part written by Piper, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. The video is what you can expect from something dated 1992. We got some shots in black and white, some in color. Um, lots of shots of Piper working out, boxing in the beach. Uh, bo- sorry, not boxing in the beach, but boxing and then Piper at the beach and so on. Um, and he's singing about uh, a woman that he's trying to, to woo effectively, it seems. But we then get cuts of a Hollywood bowl sign a sign outside the hollywood bowl saying piper v hogan the ultimate bout and this is in 1992 so they're arguing that piper isn't running from hogan like hogan says piper is chasing hogan and has been since 1992 as we can see in the video for his song i'm your man it's bloody silly (laughs) but i kind of like the fact they're doing something different to build up a, a match between two main event stars. Yeah. The, talking about the contract issues, the agents, the management on Piper's side, Hogan saying he's scared of me. He doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want to fight me. And then saying, we found this tape. It's a music video. And the, it's almost like Piper's challenging Hogan to a match all these years ago in his music video. Okay, it's it's a bit daft, it's a bit cringe. But I admire the ambition to do something different in a build for a main event contest. It's kind of my yeah. stance, I think. No, yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. It's certainly better than mine. Um, but I was just looking this up afterwards. I was thinking, when was the last time Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper actually had a match um, prior to this build? And I think from this um, that I was reading about was it had to be the late 80s. I can't remember them wrestling in the 90s. Can you, Si? Um, mm, Hogan was on top in 1991 and then well, obviously Warrior had his run on top as well in that time, didn't he? But Hogan was back by WrestleMania 7, won the 91 Rumble and so on. Um, Piper, by that point, he was in and out making movies and and obviously fucking music videos. (laughs) uh, uh, Piper, by the time early 92 rolls around, was involved with the Mountie and the IC title and Bret Hart. WrestleMania 8 was when Hogan stepped away for a while. Prior to 90... No, 89, no. Um, no, so it's been a while. I think you're right. So, according to this, the last time they were actually in the ring was a together was a tag team match at a Madison Square Garden show um, in November 1986 where it was Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper defeating Harley Race and Paul Orndorff. And that was the uh, last Okay. Well, that's interesting, Hogan and Piper tagging together, especially, you said it was 86? Yeah. 
November 24th. So we're talking only 18 months after WrestleMania, aren't we? The original WrestleMania. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I suppose Piper, tur- I mean, Piper turned face by WrestleMania 2 because he had that boxing match with Mr. T and everyone just hated Mr. T. So hope so Piper turned face yeah. because of that. Orndorff was, uh, you know, against Hogan. So he was with Hogan and turned on him. Yeah, okay. I, can, I suppose it does kind of make sense. But I think it's, it sounds odd to me. That mid-80s era, Hogan and Piper tagging together in Madison Square Garden. But I suppose when you add it up and you really break it down, it does kind of it does kind of work, yeah. And it adds to the intrigue of this match because you'd always hear in those interviews, Roddy Piper just refused to job to Hulk Hogan. And um, according to Hulk Hogan and others, it cost Roddy Piper a lot of money not jobbing to Hulk Hogan, but he he wanted to keep his pride, I guess, but... Um, right, yeah. that's a very interesting one that Roddy Piper refusing to lose to Hulk Hogan all those years. Um, I don't know why, but I guess that's a very interesting one. It's going to play out in our watch here as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the thing is, you get people in wrestling who are very protective of their spot. Yeah, and. I can understand you get shoot interviews and so on with Piper and he talks about not wanting to lose to Hogan because Hogan was this big almighty powerhouse, the the, the, the superhero baby face that destroyed everything in his path. Um, you know, he, he went through Orndorff, Andre, um, he went through the Iron Sheik to win the title, uh, King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania 2, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Piper was always the one that could come back and do something again. And if Piper lost to Hogan clean in 84, 85, or even 86, even though they were tagging together. I mean, 85 was the WrestleMania 1, so your main event was Hogan-Piper, but it, it ended up Piper didn't take the pinfall and so on. It's a tag anyway. Um, the moment Piper takes that pin, I imagine in Piper's mind, I don't know whether size comes into it as well, because Piper is much smaller than his opponent, and Hogan was, was wrestling monsters at the time. Piper maybe thought, well, if I get beat by Hogan, that's it, I'm done. There's, is it difficult to promote a believable rematch? Is it difficult to get p- the public interested and ultimately draw money with a rematch between a smaller guy who Hogan has beat when Hogan's already beating all these monsters? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to do yeah. a bit more research, look into it a bit more, listen back to these interviews. But I can kind of understand why he was quite protective of his spot, to be fair. I mean, I suppose you've already got to look at Orndorff. Orndorff was was a heel against Hogan, lost to him, if, you know, around the around the you know the the tour and and the house show circuit and so on. Never went back up to the main event picture in the WWF after that. No. So, if you take Orndorff as an example, Piper kind of, I suppose you could argue, he's correct in his mindset. Yeah. Hmm. But there we go. Um, a little bit more context for you for I'm Your Man by Roddy Piper. On the UK singles chart, 
uh, dated the 5th of December 1992. Roddy Piper's I'm Your Man was at number 81 in the UK <laughs> charts. To give everyone a little bit of a context into what was going on in the UK music scene, or at least the, the top 40 in the UK at that time. Number one was Whitney Houston with I Will Always Love You, the uh, Dolly Parton cover there. Number two, Charles and Eddie, Would I Lie to You? Um, Heaven 17 were in the top 10 with Temptation. The Prodigy, Out of Space, was uh, was also in the top 10. Um, and Guns N' Roses had released the song Yesterday's as a single too. So, yeah, very much of its time, I feel. Oh, Kylie Minogue was Celebration as well. Um, yeah, very much of its time there. It's did any of those... Yeah, did any of those ring a bell to you, Danny? Uh, only the first three. <laughs> okay. Okay, you need to listen to more Guns N' Roses, my friend. I'll send you some yes. links. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> After we have had this craziness with this music video, um, Hogan arrives. And the music plays. Hogan comes out, and he is with DiBiase, the giant, and Vincent. But he's also with Miss Elizabeth. And she is, bearing in mind, this is the 11th of November. Officially, really, we're not even in the middle of November yet. And Liz is dressed as Mrs. Claus. Um, I appreciate Santa with Muscles is about to be released uh, fairly soon after this. But it doesn't really make sense to me because they bring her out and say everyone's got Christmas on their mind. And then Vincent is told, get rid of her kind of it doesn't make much sense to me danny to be fair i i found this very odd but like um i also found it very smart as well because hulk hogan wcw whoever was involved with making um a Santa with muscles knew they were going to get destroyed at the box office by christmas movies of 1996 like another one that the giant was in jingle all the way that came out that year um, so any they, uh, any excuse for you to mention that movie? You love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will be reviewing it, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I really think that they knew that they was going to get cream cracker that at the box office, so they had to release it a month earlier. And I just found Liz here. I mean, we've talked about her not so great acting. Um, this just felt out of place. I'm with you on that, side. It felt a bit uncomfortable as well. Because mm. you've got this quite, compared to the guys around her anyway, quite quite, um, quite small, uh, quite slight, uh, attractive lady who is looking quite nervous and um, blatant, obviously doesn't want to be there. And the insinuation is that she has been bullied to dress this way by Hogan, dragged to the ring, told by the giant and Vincent to get her up front, shove her in front of the camera. And then when Hogan's done, told by Vincent to get rid of her. Sorry, told by Hogan, Vincent is to get rid of her. It feels a little bit controlling, a little it's a bit uncomfortable looking back now, I feel. Yeah. Ah, but there we go. Okay. Um, Nick Patrick's in the ring as well to start off with. So I'm thinking, are we going to get a match out of the blue here? But that doesn't happen. Hogan cuts a promo saying that Piper doesn't want any of me. And then the lights come on, the music plays, and Hogan does a bit more dancing for us. 
so the third week in a row, we've got Hogan saying Piper doesn't want any of me, and he starts dancing away. Again, a bit of an odd finish for me. Yeah, but I'd, yeah, what can you do? I'd, I noticed when Nick Patrick was in the ring and the lights went out, um, he kept having his back to the camera. And I was thinking, there's a subtle little hint of him being with the NWO. He's not left the ring. And he stayed in the ring until the promo finished. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was quite odd having him there, wasn't it? Because he wasn't there yeah. in the previous weeks, was he? No, no. Mm, okay. But yeah, there we go. Um, this is a weird build-up to Piper Hogan. It's quite unique, and I like what they're trying to do with some of it. The Hogan posing and dancing at the end of Nitro three weeks in a row is a little bit strange for me. Yeah. But overall, I guess we should give our plus points and our negatives and then rate the show in, in summary of the whole episode of Nitro in the way we usually do with our woos and our old brothers. First or second this week, my friend? I'll go second this week, mate. Okie doke, no worries. Uh, my old brother this week is quite straight to the point, Larry Zabisco, and the way he was talking about the lady wrestler at zero, completely unnecessary, and yeah. in 2023, in hindsight, a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, what's your old brother, Danny? Mine would be, it, it was nearly that, but it has to be the fact that Liz, um, the whole thing with her dressed up as Santa Claus, and or Mrs. Claus, um, yeah, that would be mine, mate. Yeah, Liz. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, my woo this week uh, was the build-up with the Piper cassette tape. The, the the fan getting thrown out twice, the way they just drop in little comments throughout the whole duration of Nitro. A clever little ploy to get people not to turn over. It, yeah. it, I don't remember this firsthand, so it piqued my interest. It was a clever way of doing it. I mean, the song was just fucking funny. The video was ridiculous <laughs> and so on. But the way it was built up before we actually watched it, I thought was really well done. What's your yeah. woo this week, mate? It has to be that um, segment between DDP and Hall and uh, Nash because I really liked that they were kind of like pushing a line of kayfabe and saying, oh, we knew you years ago and years ago and your next door neighbours were Eric Bischoff. Um, yeah, it would be that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, hit miss or middling? Um, I'm going with hit this week, sir. Um, there was a quite a few good matches. It's a very memorable episode because of the Roddy Piper music video, and I was just entertained throughout most of it. Yeah, it'll be a hit for me, mate. How about yourself? Um, it doesn't do quite enough for me. Yeah. It doesn't do quite enough for me. I don't. Uh, ultimately, uh, as much as we talk about sports entertainment and um, we hear uh, other podcasts such as the brilliant UTT podcast say that the least important part of wrestling is the wrestling itself and the story is what drags people in and all that sort of stuff. To me, it still says wrestling on the poster. I know it's a bit of a cliche that I bring out quite a bit. The wrestling itself this week wasn't up to much. But at the same time, backing what the other guys always say about storylines and, and all that sort of stuff, I was intrigued all the way through the episode. So it's it's a middle. It's definitely a middle in for me this week, but it's a very yeah. high middle. It's a very yeah. high middle. Yeah. Okay. Um, overall, I think it's 
still treading water a little bit as we're heading almost killing time as we're heading towards the next pay-per-view and when piper is going to be available um it still feels like we're sort of just hanging around waiting for things to arrive date wise with some of these nitros in the last in the last three for three weeks or so but that's just my own personal thoughts yeah but there we go mate there we go um danny John, let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self and everything else you are involved in online, please. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggler. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Backcoin with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll hopefully see another Roddy Piper music video with the great Cy Powell. <laughs> oh my goodness, I fucking hope not. <laughs> <laughs> once is funny once is funny more than that i ain't so sure anything i am involved in though you can find via the network that carries this show that's at sjp world media on facebook twitter and all your podcast players platforms and providers uh we have the youtube channel as well with lots of live content chain wrestling live on a monday night in the corner, looking at modern day WWE with Tyler Peters and Benny Mac live on a Wednesday night. Um, gameplay junkies on the weekend, normally every other Sunday, talking all things computer games and so on. Uh, all sorts of stuff. Live Premier League watch along football coverage coming very soon with the volley uh, hosted by Matt Willis and various other brilliant football fans. So you don't have to sit at home watching a game on your own. You can be watching your favorite team play have these guys on on youtube as well and you can interact with like-minded football fans every time they go live make sure you're subscribed to the sjp world media youtube channel so anytime a show goes live you get a notification so you don't miss it however this show itself you can find on facebook and twitter and again all your podcast players platforms and providers and that's by searching at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights Danny, I'm not going to lie to you, my friend. It's a bit later than we normally record. I've been out and about today, and I'm looking at the time now, and I'm thinking, any minute, my door's going to go bang, bang, bang. My dog's going to go mental, because I've got an Iceland delivery arriving. So I'm going to have to shoot. (laughs) Other supermarkets are obviously available. (laughs) Danny, it's been a blast, my friend. I look forward to talking to you again this time next week. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.